from the very beginning. All of creation pointed to him. Every prophet told of him. Every story spoke of him. His message is for everyone. His mission has never wavered. His vision is eternal. His passion brought him suffering and his purpose was fulfilled. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name. Uh, Good morning, church. Good morning. Wow, what a great morning of worship and just so glad to be together this morning. And welcome back to our series. We're in this great Easter series called Jesus. Uh, Nothing else, nothing more, just just Jesus, because it's Jesus and Jesus alone who can change a heart, who can change a life. And so we're looking at Jesus' message. We're looking at his mission, his vision. We're looking at his passion, his purpose. And we're seeing how Jesus has come into this world for us. Now, we've talked about this, but you know what? It's only Jesus who could change a heart, right? It's not the government. Governments have come and gone, and governments can do a great job, you know, legalizing morality or whatever they want to do. But but still, it's only Jesus who can change a heart. It's not schools, and schools are great, and they're wonderful to teach. Uh, You teach ethics and teach right behavior, but, but it's only Jesus who can change a heart. It's not even nonprofits, as wonderful as nonprofits are, and helping with social needs, but it's only Jesus who can change a heart and change a life. And that's what we've seen, that Jesus came with this message of love. And it was a radical message, right? I mean, that love, that God is love. Because that's what separates Christianity from every major world religion. You know, every major world religion is man trying to get to God, but Christianity is God coming to man and coming in love. And so many other religions look at, you know, God is unknowable or unpleasable, and yet Christianity with Jesus comes to say, no, it's a God of love, a God of grace, a God who wants a relationship with you and with me, and it's Jesus who has come to redeem and to restore. So praise God for Jesus. Now, we've talked about his message, and last week his mission, and today we're talking about Jesus' vision, his vision. And I think this is so important for all of us as we think about it, because A lot of places where you work, you know, every company, organization, even individuals have a a vision statement. And it's a statement that says, this is where we're going. This is what we want to do. This is who we want to be as a company. You know, and whether it's stated or not, there's a vision statement that kind of sums up the ideas. And and usually it's something simple. It's something they want to, you know, communicate that's clear. They want everybody to know it and to memorize it. Maybe many of you, you've been a at a company where you've developed a vision statement for that company or that organization. Uh, But even individually, there's something in our lives that kind of gives us vision, gives us direction. So I thought I would try this and just see if you can recognize. I'm going to put a couple of vision statements up here. And let's see if you can recognize these, see which company you think this is. First of all, to become the world's most loved, most flown, and most profitable airline. Any guesses? Southwest Airlines. That's right. That's right. We love... Southwest, I love Southwest Airlines, unless you get that C boarding card, right? That's the like, middle seat. That's what that stands for right there. So uh, the Southwest Airlines. Okay, what about this one? To be the best retailer in the hearts and minds of consumers and employees. Anybody want to guess? Walmart. Walmart, right there, right there, Walmart. Now, what I like about their vision statement, right, I'm going to go back to it, is, is to be the best retailer in the hearts and the minds of consumers and employees. I, I like that, you know, and Sam Walton, Christian, a believer, right there. Okay, what about this one? Our vision is to create a better everyday life for many people. You might want to guess? All right, it's Ikea, right, Ikea. And I love that, to create a better everyday life for many people, unless it's the day you're at Ikea and you're going through there and you can't find anything because it's so massive. You're like, well, that's not a great day. But besides that day, every other day. All right, what about this one? To give people the power to share and make the world more open and connected. You got this? A lot of people spend a ton of time on this place right here, so... It's Facebook, okay, so that's where a lot of people live and breathe, right? Okay, but what about this one? Bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. And I love that asterisk right there. Asterisk, if you have a body, you are an athlete. (laughs) Nike, somebody got it, way to go, good job. Nike, that's right. All right, I put this vision, because you know, vision is kind of the why. It's like, 
here we go. The mission is the how, but I thought their vision was a little short, so you kind of need a little bit more of it. Vision, enriching people's lives. Mission, to provide unique and innovative automotive products and services that deliver superior measurable values to all stakeholders. Anybody got it? Come on, who works at Nissan, all right? <laughs> it's right here, I hope. If you're here today and you work there, hopefully your boss isn't here. But anyway, like, <laughs> it's Nissan. All right, what about this one? To create a better world for pets. Mars, thank you, you work there. Thank you, good job. <laughs> great, 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 Mars Pet Care, good job. Got that one. All right, what about this one? Provide a supportive environment where students are challenged to pursue excellence in academics, athletics, and the arts. Williamson County Schools right there, right, teachers. That was a student, by the way. Good job. Way to go. Way to teach your vision statement to students. All right, everybody better get this one, please, okay? <laughs> a people of God reaching out, growing up, giving all. Rolling Hills, way to go. Rolling Hills Community Church. And I just have to say this. What I love about our vision statement, right, it says, a people of God, right? God's brought us from all over the country, all different places, all different backgrounds, all different denominations, but we're united in him, and we're reaching out. This isn't just a country club where he comes just to be with us. You know, we want to reach out, do missions and service, and make a difference, and growing up, taking a next step in our spiritual journey. We don't want to be complacent and giving all, right? God doesn't call us just to be spectators, but participants in living that out. So people of God, reaching out, growing up, giving all. Now, I want to do this right here. If you had a vision statement for your life, what would it be? If you had a vision statement for your life, what would it be? All right, I want you to think about that for a moment because here's the thing. So if you're taking notes, jump in if you want to take notes right here. The importance of vision. The importance of vision. It was Alice in Wonderland who said, right, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there, okay? So it's important for us to have a vision, to have a direction for our life, for our family. What's important? What do we value? Uh, a while back, we did a men's leadership network on developing a vision statement or mission statement for your family. It was great. For all the guys in the room, mensleadershipnetwork.com, great opportunity to listen to these podcasts for about 35 minutes. So while you run, you know, you work out, or you're driving to work, but just helping men be spiritual leaders. But if you were to think about this, what is the vision statement for your life? Because it's either stated or not stated, you know? But there's something in us that drives us forward. There's something in us that points us in a direction. I remember several years ago, I kind of adopted this statement, you know, to know God and to make him known. And, and that was just something simple that I could hold on to, that I kind of held on to for me. My vision statement, to know God, I want to know him, and to make him known, to share him with others. Now, here's the thing, here's the thing. Our vision can drift, our vision can drift, okay? Just because you have a vision statement, whether you're a company or individual or family, just because you have a vision statement doesn't mean you're gonna follow it, <laughs> okay? Your vision can drift, and that's where we have to be so adamant to say, no, this is what I'm called to do. I'm gonna put one more up here. Let's see if you can get this one, okay? To be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. You want to take a guess what vision statement, who that is? I'll give you a hint. It's a university established in 1636. It's Harvard. To be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. Pretty interesting, huh? Think the vision drifted a little bit somewhere along the way? Now, I mean, you know, I like Harvard, I mean, you know, great, but at some point it became secular humanism. It became just all about knowledge, and somewhere this kind of got left out. But Harvard, Yale, and a lot of the schools were started by believers for higher education because, you know, as we know more about science, we know more about the way the world works, we fall more in love with God. We realize that he's the one who created it. And so, but somehow that vision drifted. And it can happen in our lives, in our hearts, right? You can start off and, man, I'm so on fire for the Lord, and this is what I want to live my life for, and then somehow we just kind of get caught up. And we run after the temporary. We forget about the eternal. And we have to hold on to the Lord. So here's the, here's, here's the thing. Jesus had a vision statement. I'm telling you, Jesus had a vision statement, right? It was simple. It was clear. It was concise. And here it is. Here's Jesus' vision statement. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save 
that which was lost. Luke 19.10, you look it up, right? It is just so clear. The Son of Man, that's what Jesus referred to himself as many times, right? The Son of Man. And he said, here's my vision statement. I've came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. Now, in order for something to be lost, you had to first own it, right? right? I can't say, oh, I lost my horse because I don't have a horse, you know, so that doesn't really work out like that. You have to own something or have something. And here's the thing. You and I were created for a relationship with God. All people were created for a relationship with God. But what happened? We sinned, right? We blew it. Now you got a holy God and sinful man. But this is the gospel. This is the good news. God didn't give up on us. God sent his son, Jesus, to seek and to save that which was lost. Here's the biblical word. One word right here. In a word, Jesus' vision is reconciliation. It's reconciliation. It's bringing back together, right, this holy God and sinful man, paying the price for us as we move into this Easter season. Praise God. And God's all about reconciliation. God's all about life change and and in marriage and our lives, you know, bringing these things back together. So here today, we're going to see this. Jesus teaches on his vision. Jesus teaches on his vision. All right. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I want to invite you to open with me to the Gospel of Luke. Luke 15. Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, first four books of the New Testament, all talking about Jesus. All talking about Jesus. And, and, and I love this. If you don't have a Bible, right, we've got some Bibles in the back. Love for you to just grab one. They're kind of by those poles in the back. It's yours. Put your name in it. Free gift from us. Or we'll put the scripture on the screen. Or if you have a mobile device, you can access the scriptures there. But Luke, Luke 15 is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. All right, I'm just telling you, it is awesome. I mean, and it's where Jesus just comes out and lays it all out. And says, hey, I want you to know this is what I'm about right here. And it's kind of at the center of Luke. You know, Luke's chapter 1 through 9, all about Jesus' ministry and the things that he did. And then 10 through 19 are his teaching. And then 19 through 24, his death, his burial, his resurrection, which we're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday. So kind of at the center here, Luke 15, and it lays out here. So pick up here, verse 1. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners. Now notice sinners is in quotes, right? Did you notice that? It's like sinners, like they're a sinner, right? Now, tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Now, tax collectors, I'll just tell you, back in this time, uh, they were kind of the most hated people. Because if you were a tax collector, you were a Jewish person who went to the Romans, and the Romans were over the Jews at this time, the Roman Empire, right? And, and you were a Jewish person who said, hey, I'll work for you and collect taxes for my own people. All right, that didn't go over real well, right? And so the Romans said... Hey, whatever you collect over and above, you get to keep. Oh, great, thanks. So they're taxing their own people, right? And they're getting rich off their own people. So the tax collectors back then were hated. I mean, because they were wealthy, but they got it off their own people, right? And they were working for the Romans. So the tax collectors and sinners. Now, sinners is in quotes because it's like, these weren't like necessarily bad people. They were just people who didn't come to synagogue all the time. They were people kind of on the outside looking in and, Probably they wanted to be there, maybe, but they were unclean because they couldn't keep up with all the hand washing. And maybe they were shepherds, or maybe they worked out in the village, or they did different things. But they weren't there all the time. But these guys were gathering around to hear Jesus. They were like, hey, I don't know about the religion thing, but I want to be around Jesus. I mean, there's something about what he's saying. There's something that's going right to my heart. There's something there. I want to be there. But... Verse 2, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, okay? Now, the Pharisees were the religious leaders. They were the ones who kind of thought they had it all together, you know, like, hey, we're, we're kind of leading this whole deal, right? And, and the teachers of the law, the law, Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books, that was called the law. And so these are the guys who were the leaders there at the synagogue, at the temple, and they muttered. Don't you love that word, muttered? I mean, it's like kind of like... Sounds what it means, right? They complained, they whined, and they said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They're like, look at this guy. I mean, what is he doing over here with these people, right? What is he doing over there? Now, I want you to notice, because Jesus is going to start teaching here in just a second, but I want you to notice that both are present. Tax collectors and sinners, 
as well as Pharisees and teachers of the law. So Jesus is teaching to both. It's important to know the context when you read scripture and just kind of look at that and go, okay, here's the context. So he hears the Pharisees muttering and saying, why is he hanging out with these people? What's he doing over here? And Jesus, therefore, tells three stories to show his vision. Okay, verse three. Then Jesus told them this parable. And a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's the way Jesus taught. I'm gonna teach him parables because as we discover truth, we own that truth. And so he starts to teach. And the first parable he tells is this, the parable of the lost sheep. So look here. He says, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? He's like, guys, think about this for a minute, right? You got 100 sheep. Now, if you had 100 sheep back then, you were pretty wealthy, okay? But it also could be that there's villages who, you know, you have one sheep, you have two sheep, three sheep, and the village all comes together and puts their sheep in the pasture, and they hire a shepherd to come out and watch over their sheep. And so the shepherd's like, uh-oh, you know, we got one missing, got to go after it, right? But you've got 100 sheep, and you only got one missing. But, but he's gone. He says, in... He goes after it to find it, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Now, I love that. He joyfully, back then, you carry sheep, you would pick them up, you'd put them over here, over your neck, you know, you'd hold their legs together, and, and some of these sheep can weigh like 100 pounds, but he's joyfully going home, and Jesus is going, you know what, he's still got 99 sheep, but he's going, no, I went after that one. I found it. I'm bringing it home. Check it out. He's walking home. He's joyful. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, hey, rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. Isn't this awesome? You still got 99, but yeah, I went after the one and I found it. Come on, let's have a party. And then notice what Jesus says, verse seven. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus goes, I came to seek and to save the lost. I'm glad you got it all together. I'm glad you got it all figured out. But, but listen, I, I want people to be reconciled to God. That, that's why I've come. I'm going after the sheep. And notice this one then. There's the parable of the lost coin. So you got the parable of the lost sheep. And then Jesus says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Now, it's one thing for Jesus to say to the people, hey, kind of put yourself in the story. You could be a shepherd going after a sheep. The people, all the guys listening there will be like, okay, I get that, a shepherd, you know, okay, I could, I could do that. David was a shepherd. But now he makes the hero of the story a woman. And, and guys, I gotta tell you, Jesus did more for women's rights than any person in history. I mean, women at this day and this time, I mean, they had no rights. And Jesus comes along and Jesus makes women equal to men. Jesus says, oh, no, you matter to God. You're valuable. You're important. And, and I mean, you can just see the Pharisees going, what? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. But, but no, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Now, back then, houses didn't have windows, okay? And you're talking about a dirt floor. And so, you know, I mean, it's pretty dark, right? And so this woman's got her 10 coins. She's counting. She's got nine. Wait a minute. And then she starts to panic, right? She starts making a careful search throughout. Uh, women back in this day, if you didn't have a husband or a son or, or somebody as a man to step in, you're in trouble. So you can imagine this woman's like, I, I got to need this money. And so she's searching, she's searching, she's searching until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. You know, it's the community in the village. She says, hey, everybody come over. Listen, I found it, I found it, I found it. Jesus says, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. He goes, God, don't forget this. There's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. You know, don't just think it's all about you. You join me in what I'm doing here. And then he comes to this, the most famous story, but notice this, the parable of the lost sons. The parable of the lost sons. Now, in your Bible, maybe you have a heading that says the parable of the lost son, but I want to tell you there's two sons in the story, and Jesus is very clear, speaking to both 
audience right there. He's like, hey, I've got a message for both of you. Listen to this. Jesus continued. There, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, I can't overemphasize this enough, but, but this is like the most rude, disrespectful thing that a son could ever say to his dad. This is like, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance and I want it now. I'm tired of living in your house. I'm tired of living by your rules. Now, in the Old Testament, if a son did this, they would be taken out and stoned to death. And so probably the Pharisees, everybody's listening going, oh, that kid, he's dead. That's it, you know, he's gone to his dad. He's like, look what happens. But no, Jesus said, so the dad divided his property between them. I mean, that meant he went out and sold some land and he gave it to his son. Here you go. You make your choice, your decision. Well, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had and he set off for a distant country and there he squandered his wealth and wild living. I mean, the kid packs it up, right? He heads to Vegas, whatever Vegas was back in that day, right? He's going out to Vegas and he's just firing it off, right? He's going to the bars, he's buying drinks, he's like living it up. He's like, they could see, Dad, you're missing out. I mean, this is what it was about, right? This kid's just going crazy out there and wild living. And then verse 14, after he had spent everything, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And all those people who were his friends, who he was buying drinks for, they're, they're nowhere around, right? They're gone. And I'm like, dude, you ran out of money. Sorry, see you. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now, guys, this is like the bottom of the barrel for a Jewish kid, okay? I mean, the Jews hate pigs, right? I mean, they're, you know, they're unclean. And so you've got this Jewish kid in a pig pen feeding pigs. This is rock bottom. I mean, this kid is in bad shape. In verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He's hungry. He's alone. He's tired. He's desperate. Maybe you can think back in your life, there was a time, and wow. But look at verse 17. When he came to his senses, wow. When he came to his senses, he's like, oh, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. And there was a time for all of us, I, I pray in our lives, we come to our senses and say, this is how I was created to live. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He starts thinking about home. <laughs> he starts thinking about his dad. He starts thinking about life back there. I will set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And you know what? This kid was smart enough to realize, hey, it wasn't just against my dad. No, it was against God. I mean, it was against his word. I, I've sinned. I've blown it. I've messed up. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. This kid thinks, you know what? I can go back and I can earn it. I can earn my way back. I can work hard. I can do enough and, and maybe my dad will accept me. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Every one of you is a parent in here, you know. You know that dad was just pacing back and forth on that front porch every day, looking down that road every day. And finally one day he sees a silhouette coming and he's like, could it be? Could it be? And he sees that it's his son. And he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He ran. Now back then, like men, you didn't run, okay? I mean, that was just, you just didn't do that. You were in a robe. And especially older men, patriarchs, because then you got to hike up your robe. You know, you got, it's embarrassing. You don't do that. You just don't do it. And, and yet this dad doesn't care that his legs are white. He doesn't care at all. He's just going to run to his son because his son has come home. And he runs, he runs, he runs. He gets to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. You get this picture. He's just kissing him all over. You know, you know, this kid's covered in mud. He's covered in pig poop. It doesn't matter to this dad because his son is home. His son is home. 
And his son pushes him away. And his son says, wait, 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 dad, I got this whole speech. I've been working on it. Hold on. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And the dad's like, you're right. You have. I agree. It wasn't just me. It was against God. But listen, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And right here, the dad was like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Were you ever worthy to be my son? Were you ever worthy? And before the kid could say, hey, make me one of your hired men. Let me earn it. Let me work my way back. Religion, right? Let me do that. Before he could ever get there, the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe. Not just any robe, but the best robe. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Now, guys, the ring would have been the signet ring, the family ring. I mean, this is like power of attorney. You're like giving the kid charge over money again? Are you kidding me? Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Back then, the slaves were the ones who went barefoot. Family had sandals. Put sandals on his feet. He's family. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. The fattened calf was saved for the most special occasions. I mean, you just fatten that thing up and you waited and waited and waited. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Remember, there's two sons. The older son is in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And you're thinking this brother's gonna be like, yes, my brother's home. I've been praying for him. I was praying that he was okay. I was praying he wasn't hurt. I can't wait to see him. I wanna go inside. I wanna be with him. But no, (laughs) that's not what Jesus said, right? It says the older brother became angry and refused to go in. You're like, what? Oh yeah, he became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, exclamation point. Notice the disrespect right there. No dad, no father. Just look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. I've been working hard. I've been doing all of it. (laughs) Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Dad, really? Look at me. It's all about me. You know, you can be in close proximity to the father and still miss the heart of the father. My son, the father said, You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he's found. He's lost, and he's found. Guys, let me ask you today, which which son do you identify with? Which son do you identify with? Maybe you're here today, and you're like, man, I'm that younger son. I've, I've just been far from God. I've been doing my own thing. I've been going my own way. I've just kind of drifted, and here I am. And maybe today you just kind of go, well, that was me before, right? I remember my life before I met Jesus. I remember that was that younger son. I was in rebellion, but, but by God's grace, I've been redeemed. Maybe today you go, ah, I'm becoming like the older. It's about my works and what I do, and I'm kind of missing it. Which one do you identify with today? Here's the thing, here's the thing. In all three of these stories, something valuable is lost, right? Something valuable is lost. A sheep is lost. A valuable coin is lost. A son is lost. Two sons are lost. Something is sought, right? The shepherd goes after the sheep. The woman goes to the coin. The, the father, did you notice this? The father goes out to both sons. The father goes out to the younger, but he also goes out to the older. He leaves the party, and he says to the older, come in. Something is found The sheep is found, the coin is found, the younger son is found, and something is celebrated. There is a party. Don't you love that our God is a God of parties? There is a party. There is rejoicing. 
There's a celebration. That's who God is. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. The Bible doesn't tell us, Jesus doesn't tell us if the older son ever came into the party. We don't know. Jesus just leaves it off. We don't know if the older one just stayed out in his anger, his pride, his spiritual pride, his arrogance, and never joined in. We don't know, but we know that the party happened. (laughs) And there was a party. Here, notice this. What you celebrate shows what you value. What you celebrate shows what you value. This is a good lesson for all of us to kind of think about in our lives, in our homes, in our families. What you celebrate shows what you value. And God celebrates reconciliation. Life changed through Jesus. Guys, that's why we celebrate baptism. I mean, baptism is a celebration. It's awesome. I mean, here at Rolling Hills, people are outside by the baptistry family and friends in here. When somebody dies their old way of life and being raised to walk a new life, everybody just starts cheering. It's a celebration. It's life change. And for some of you, God may be calling you to be baptized. You've accepted Christ, but you've never taken that next step. Easter Sunday, two weeks. Man, what better day to be baptized, to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to walk with him. You know, communion is a celebration. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. It's introspective, but it's a celebration of God's grace. God celebrates reconciliation, life change through Jesus. Miracles still happen today. Every time someone is reconciled to God, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Don't miss it. Don't get caught up in everything that's going on around you. You miss the miracles of life change. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jesus has a vision for your life. Jesus has a vision for your life. It's found in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. It says this, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. See, a lot of people think that God's just up there waiting for you to mess up, waiting for you, and then he's going to zap you, right? You know, your car won't start or something bad happens. No. God is a God of grace. God's not counting men's sins against him. Jesus came in the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he, he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, you're an ambassador of Christ. If you're a disciple of his, you're an ambassador. You're like an ambassador of the U.S., represents the U.S. You are an ambassador of Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So Jesus' vision for your life, to reconcile you to God. When we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, when we were far from God, God came to us. Never forget that. And then this, to invite you to share his message of reconciliation with others. That you and I become the ambassadors of Christ. That you and I just be at the opportunity to share with our children, our grandchildren, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our friends. Hey, Christ has come to redeem and to restore, to make all things new. That's the vision that God has for you. And for me, it's a message of love. It's a message of grace. Listen, I I don't know where you are today. I don't. But I know this, God is here. And God has sent his son to redeem and to restore each of us. And maybe today, right where you sit, you just go, I I want this. I want life and hope and joy and peace. Today is a day of salvation. Maybe today for you, you just go, man, my my vision's drifting. And I I used to be so fired up for God and so excited. And I just kind of drifted over a little bit. And today, God's just wooing you back. Hey, come on. Don't miss it. I'm at work. I'm moving. And I want to use you for my glory, God says. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. Just for a moment. Where are you today? Do you kind of identify with the younger or with the older? Maybe today, right where you sit, you say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. Come into my heart, forgive me my sins. Redeem me, restore me. I'm at rock bottom and I need you. Maybe this morning you just want to say thank you. 
Jesus, thank you for redeeming me, for restoring me. Thank you that when I was far from you, you didn't give up on me. Jesus, you came for me. Maybe this morning you just want to say, God, don't let me miss it. Don't let my vision drift or waver, Father. Don't let me get consumed with the temporal. Let me invest in the eternal. God, give me joy and hope and peace and love in my heart. So, Father, here we are, your disciples today, men and women seeking you, wanting to know you and to follow you and to know your heart and your vision and to align our lives and our priorities with you. God, thank you that you're present with us right now. I pray, God, you give us the boldness, the boldness to serve you, to follow you. I pray for salvation to come today. I pray for others to say, I want to be baptized. I want to, I want to put a stake in the ground that I'm a follower of Jesus. I pray for those of us, maybe it's the fire is just not there, the passion, but I pray you would restore it. I pray, that God, you would open our eyes to see life change. And God, that you would allow us to fall more in love with you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you for the peace that comes. Thank you that the best is still to be. And God, we love you. Thank you for saving us. When we were lost, you found us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we respond. Amen, amen. Guys, I want to invite us into a time of response. And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and let's just worship. Think about your salvation story. Think about what God's done in your life. And let's stand and respond back to God right now. Let's stand together.
My story is a story of redemption. As a young child, I, I found myself in church anytime the doors were open, and uh, I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior at a very young age. But as a young adult, I began to question my faith. I began to doubt it. Uh, I felt that religion had become more about the law than it was about love, and I ran away from it. I went into a season of darkness, and uh, I found myself in a lifestyle that was filled with drugs and alcohol and everything that came along with it. I knew what was right, and even though I knew what was right, I, I tried to hide that lifestyle from those that I loved. But the great thing was that even in that season of darkness, my Lord and Savior pursued me. He chased me even into the darkness, and he loved me through it. Through the love of my wife and the prayers of my Mimi. From a church that extended me grace, there was redemption, and I have been redeemed. Thank you. story is one of uh, repentance and reconciliation. Growing up abandoned, neglected, and abused by every woman that came into my life growing up, not knowing a mother's unconditional love, and having an amazing father, but just one that wasn't present, I could function but not thrive. Empty pursuits abound, relationships crumble, chasing peace incessantly with absolutely no direction of what success was other than what the world was defining as successful. I was miserable, full of fear, distrust, and shame. Yet God was giving me visions of where he was calling me even into this moment to praise him one day for he knew that I would be out of that place and he had plans for me. In the wake of divorce, loss, pain, shame, and fear in 2009, I made a resolution. No more pain, no more shame no more fear, look the world in the eye and smile. And that night, I prayed for just that. Sharing all this with a friend in seminary who'd invited me, I reluctantly went to the altar of an empty church in downtown Franklin. I was invited to lay it all out at the cross with confession and repentance. My fear and my shame came pouring out. I made a commitment and I made a request for Jesus to become the Lord of my life. Finding a church home, I was baptized here in Rolling Hills in 2010, the last in the horse trough, I'm proud to say. Michelangelo was once asked how he created the David so perfectly, and his answer was, I started with a single block of stone, and I simply removed everything that wasn't David. So it is with God as we try to understand why the pieces of our life fall away as he shapes us into who we are in him. In Jesus, I found who I am to God. In that, I found peace and joy. Now the markers of any amount of success in my life are measured by mission and hope, intentional love, sacrifice, and the legacy I hope to leave my amazing wife and wonderful family. I fully embrace the heart he formed in me that I willingly lay down at the cross to serve his son forever. Grace abounds, and I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Mine is a story of faith. I was raised in an alcoholic abusive home and I'd lost faith many times as a child when I went to the church and was rebuked. That abuse carried over into my marriage and again I sought out the church and once again the door was closed. I'd lost faith. I didn't believe in a God. Over the years I stayed away from the Lord. One day when I moved down here to Tennessee a young man at work began to nudge me to join him at church. Every week, he was persistent. He would tell me what they were doing. He would tell me that God was there for me. After six long months of, of him nudging me and the Holy Spirit getting a hold of me, I came to his church. That church was here, Rolling Hills. Slowly, he chipped away at my armor, 
that was surrounding my heart and my faith began to be restored. I now had faith again in church and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Recently, my faith was challenged once more. December 2016, I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. Now I thought I was prepared for that because my family has a history of it, but it took the wind out of me. I never doubted that the Lord would heal me. That was never a question. My faith was strong in that area. And I was confident in the medical society and, and the technology. But where my faith lacked was the how. How was I gonna get through this? I'd raised three kids as a single parent and I'd been very independent. I could do anything. It didn't matter what was thrown my way. I would find a way to get through it. But this, I didn't know how. How am I gonna do it? Well, the Lord once again was in my life. The people of my small group wrapped their arms around me in prayer. They arranged all my rides to chemo treatments because I'd be unable to drive. A young friend would sit with me overnight when I'd have my treatments just in case something would happen. Another friend arranged all my meals for me and saw to it that I had nourishment no matter what happened. Two friends from Wisconsin came up and took care of me after surgery. Every month, those same two friends would send me a care package. It was full of anything little, gifts, candy, inspiration. One month, they sent me a big box full of 50 little cutout hearts like this. On each one, they'd written a Bible verse, an inspirational quote, or even a funny joke. I didn't want to lose sight of these 50 hearts, so I taped them to my bedroom door. And every morning when I would get up, I would pull one heart, read it, and carry it with me. On the days that I was the lowest and the sickest, my eyes would always travel to this heart. Oh God, my Lord, my strength and my salvation, you are my helmet in a day of battle. I had faith again. He was with me all the way. My story is a story of surrender. I became a Christian when I was 15 years old, but nothing really changed. I professed to being a Christian, but my actions and my thoughts, they aligned more with the world than with the word. And alcohol, which had started something that I used as an escape, had become something from which I could not escape. Well, God is a good God. He's a loving God. and He didn't give up on me and he kept pursuing me. And so one night about 10 years ago, after a night out with my friends, I was involved in an alcohol-related car accident. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I didn't recognize the face that I saw. And that was terrifying. And I just fell to my knees and I started crying. And I said, God, I don't wanna live this way anymore. I know I need to change, but I can't change my own power. God, please come help me, please. And God in his mercy came and met me where I was. Jesus called my name and I answered. And I say that that's the night that the old Gordon died because that's the night that I died of that way of living. And that's the night that I fully surrendered my life to Christ. And things haven't been perfect since then. There have definitely been stumbling blocks and road bumps in the road and but I know that with God by my side I'm gonna make it I know that with God I'm not gonna turn the bottle because God loves me and God is for me and he is with me
keep it. Let's keep it. Jason, Jeff, Maureen, Gordon, thank you so much for sharing. And you know, guys, that's our story. It's not just their story. We, in this room, there are so many stories like that, right? God has done so much in our life.